we are recording. Okay. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I am Eric Emchak alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, Stephen, another exciting week of WNBA free agency action in the books. Yeah, it was even crazier than I could have anticipated. You know, I think we all saw something still coming in the way of, you know, uh, a Howard deal or a Howard signing or maybe one other big trade out there. But um, if you told me, you know, Natasha Howard was going to get traded last week, I, I still wouldn't have thought it would have been as crazy as it ended up being. Yeah, because it wasn't just a Natasha Howard trade. It was, well, a lot of stuff happened on Wednesday. Let's, uh, let's, let's quick go over this. It, 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 let's, let's go over it in order. So first, the Liberty traded Kia Nurse and Megan Walker to the Phoenix Mercury for their 2021 first-round pick and their 2022 first-round pick. Then the Seattle Storm traded Natasha Howard to the Liberty for their 2021 first-round pick, which is first overall, remember, and a 2022 first-round pick, which, which is from Phoenix and a 2022 second-round pick, right? Then the Storm traded to Sammy, Sammy Whitcomb to the New York Liberty for the rights to Stephanie Talbot, whose contract was at the time considered suspended or expired. Um, Whitcomb then signed for two years and $150,000 with the Liberty. Then the Minnesota Lynx traded Nakia Herbert Harrigan to Seattle for a 2022 first-round pick, which is originally from Phoenix, Still following me. Then the Dallas Wings traded Katie Lou Samuelson and a 2022 second round pick to the Seattle Storm for the 2021 first round pick, which was originally from New York. And then the Phoenix Mercury waved Nia Coffee. So a lot of stuff going on there. Um, a lot of moves, especially for the Storm and the Liberty in particular. Yikes. Well, only bit of housekeeping, uh, I would say, is I, I believe that number six pick that was traded in the first deal of the day, the Kia Nurse deal, uh, originally came from Connecticut in the Dewana Bonner sign and trade. Did it? Yeah. See, that's the, these picks go on, uh, go, on, go on quite the journey before they're actually used. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. But uh, a lot of movement here, a lot of stuff to go on. And of course, Natasha Howard did sign that four year super max with the Liberty after being traded. So she secured the bag. Um, pretty good situation for New York now, Stephen. Yeah, a major talent upgrade for sure. So uh, just to kind of round up what, what they did, in comes Natasha Howard, Sammy Whitcomb, and the number six pick in this coming draft. Uh, out goes the number one pick in this coming draft, Kia Nurse, Megan Walker, Steph Talbot, and they also uh, lost Amanda Zowie B in free agency, which we can get to later. But I mean, the the Howard fit is something that we have kind of anticipated for a while now. Um, it seemed, especially as time went on, that the long-term marriage between Howard and the Seattle Storm, it, it, was, it, it wasn't really long for, for this world, it, it would seem, as, as time went on, right? Yeah. I mean, she got cored. And then, uh, you know, things, things, they leak out. They leak out slowly but surely, you know, rumors, rumors from sources. And then when they signed Candace Dupree for one year and a considerable amount of money, I was like, well, it's only a matter of time now. Yeah, and the basketball fit with Howard on this team, I think, is just awesome in terms of what Walt Hopkins wants to do offensively, the fit with the rest of this roster. You know, I think I've said before, Howard is maybe the most, you know, quote-unquote modern high-level center in the WNBA between being able to score inside, score outside, you know, defend inside, defend on the perimeter. You know, offensively, she's not a great spot-up shooter in terms of, you know, canning 40% of her threes, but if she's playing center for you, she does, you know, hang out out there. She can knock them down a little bit. But more so for me, it's just everything else she brings as a perimeter player offensively at that position, right? She, in my opinion, is, is a really great cutter in terms of her timing, her effectiveness when she's, you know, just not involved in the action or if she's on the weak side. I, I'm not 
really sure how much cutting we'll see from uh, a Natasha Howard who, you know, wants to win the MVP. It seems like she's going to have a, a much bigger role than, than we saw in Seattle where things were a lot more egalitarian and, and maybe we'll still see that. Um, but it seems like maybe she has a, a different role in mind, but just, you know, her face-up game, obviously like um, a lot of WNBA bigs are effect, effective face-up players from 15 and 18 feet, the kind of mid-range area. But when you're, you're really opening things up for your, for yourself and for the rest of your team, when you can, you know, space all the way out to above the break and, you know, take it off the dribble from there or, you know, shoot it, uh, shoot an open look, attack off the bounce. And there are very few WNBA centers who can really do that the way Howard can in terms of her fluidity with her handles. And, you know, it's not really kind of a clunky drive game for her. You know, she's obviously someone who cannot only run the floor for you in, in transition, but actually run those breaks as well. You know, she she's going to do so much in the way of creating those opportunities for you with her defensive playmaking, uh, which we can get to a little bit later. Anything that you kind of had to react to with, uh, I have some more notes on Howard that I want to get to, but anything you want to say about kind of what I just covered? Yeah, no, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. The thing that about Natasha Howard that you mentioned was she can face up from the three-point line. And it's not like she can do that because she's a 40% three-point shooter out there. I mean, she can shoot the three, but she's just got this burst and this handle. Like like you said, it's very fluid. That's That's a good word for it. Um, it's really difficult to stay in front of her, even if you're playing her for the drive rather than the, than the jump shot, which I think is is the correct way to play her offensively. And then what I wanted to mention is is the pick and roll. Like Seattle did not really use her in the pick and roll that often last season. I, I didn't look at previous seasons, but I assume that's that's still the case. New York is going to do a lot more of that. I think she she even mentioned that herself. Like, oh, me and me and UNESCO are going to be like Kobe and Shaq. How, how often did Kobe and Shaq run the pick and roll? I don't. That's, that was before my time. But it's, it's a great pairing because um, UNESCO, we, we anticipate being a future star point guard who is very, very good in the pick and roll. And if New York can adequately space the floor around her running these UNESCO and Howard pick and rolls, it's going to be so many levels ahead of what we saw last season. I didn't write the numbers down, but I was taking a look at it a couple of days ago. And 2018 was like the big Howard pick and roll season for her, just in terms of kind of her role in this offense. And she was really, really good. I think had a, a little bit more of a down year and, and kind of a, a strange all around 2020 in that uh, way. But, you know, I, I do think she can be a, an effective roller in terms of, you know, she can pop a, a little bit. I don't really love her as a pick and pop player. You know, if she's going to be on the perimeter. I think right. I'd rather have her just be kind of like spotting up or waiting to attack. Um, but definitely, you know, as a roller, as a playmaker in the short role, you know, the one thing I do worry about with Howard in this kind of more featured role, uh, if we can get to this side of the ball, is how it will affect her defensively. You know, she she did, of course, win Defensive Player of the Year in 2019, which was like her big increased offensive workload season for Seattle. But she was playing alongside a traditional center almost exclusively or or maybe even a, a Crystal Langhorn who would maybe some, take on some of those bigger matchups for her. Uh, and the other one, of course, was, you know, Mercedes Russell, obviously, you know, a natural center. And the Liberty do still have Kia Stokes on this roster. I think playing Howard alongside a, a Kia Stokes type big will negate to some degree a lot of what makes Howard so special. Like, I think she's, you know, she's still a very good four, but, um, you know, ideally, you, I think you'd want to, player at the five right I agree yeah um defensively that combination I think can be pretty great Stokes and, and Howard but it really mm -hmm. just kind of like shrinks things a little bit for you offensively and if you're not playing them together like Howard over the course of her career you know she's going to be playing the bigger assignments and she is a, a unique and special defensive player but it's worth considering you know her fall rate over the course of her career and, and if I can just go over it year over year starting in 2014 this is per 36 minutes and I imagine she'll be playing probably around 
31, 32 minutes per game. Uh, 5.4 her rookie season, 6.4, 7.2, 5.1, 5.2, 3.4 in 2019, and then 5.2 last year. And I think that number last year was a big reason why, along with her conditioning, and, and those two things probably went hand in hand a little bit, but played a big role in her, you know, only playing 21 minutes a game. So it's, it's definitely something to consider. She is, you know, a smaller player for that position. And uh, I, I guess we'll just kind of see how they, and obviously she's a very aggressive defensive player and, and uh, one that is going to be swiping and, and going for block shots and steals and stuff like that. So definitely something to, to consider in terms of the larger offensive role that she'll be playing. Okay. I did not consider that, but as you were going over those numbers, you said, what was it? 3.4 in 2019. Yep, that's the, the season with her her higher usage and heavier playmaking burden burden for sure. But also, you know, playing alongside a more traditional right. center most of the time, rather than playing alongside you know Brianna Stewart. Right. Okay. So I, I think we're both in agreement here. It's it's going to be interesting to see. I think signing Howard, a lot of her minutes are going to be at the five. But given that they re-signed Kia Stokes prior to last season ending, I have a hard time seeing them just kicking her to the curb as well i think in fact you know i do like you brought up a good point um stokes would be able to take those bigger assignments you know just to save howard some energy you assume howard is going to be doing so much uh on both ends of the court you know just give her a little bit of time off if you will granted the the four position in this league is pretty loaded as well but if you can save her the wear and tear and and, and like needless fouling by playing her alongside kia stokes you're right offensively it's kind of a sketchy fit but defensively i think it's really good yeah, and I guess my, my bigger point was just that you you may have to choose between playing her with a more traditional five like you were just talking about, which I think does negate some, not not all for sure. She's still going to be a great player for you, as we saw with, with her 2019 season, but some of what makes her so special offensively or play her at the five alongside like a Rebecca Allen or something at the four and just hope she can play, like stay on the floor for those 30 minutes a game. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about what she brings defensively you know we've seen year over year a little bit of a dip in her block rate the last couple seasons since that pretty insane 6.0 block percentage her first year in Seattle but with that dip has come an increase in her steal rate and she continues to be as good of a defensive playmaker as ever if you you know with the uh the stocks as as you like to call them um she just has uh you know awesome hands whether it's trapping the pick and rolls or, or just completely erasing passing lanes with their wingspan and taking away, you know, backdoor cuts. Um, her, her timing and execution with her hands defensively is so impressive, even, you know, considering the, the high fall rate and stuff like that. And it was something I had highlighted on, on uh, Twitter the other day. Last season, this defense really played a, a very kind of conventional, conservative, like drop your bigs back, pick and roll defense. And I mean, I would have to imagine if you're bringing Natasha Howard, you're going to kind of change your philosophy a little bit. Yeah. A lot of what made Seattle so great in their aggressive trapping defense is, is Natasha Howard, obviously. And this Liberty team, uh, they were 11th in enforcing turnovers in 2020. And, you know, that's definitely going to increase no matter what defense they, they play. But I do hope, you know, with Benajelani and Natasha Howard now defending pick and rolls, you know, instead of some of the roster that they had last year, I, I do hope we see a little bit more of an aggressive philosophy, which I, I would expect. It's it's something that I, I like to say. Last season, there's nothing they could really do to dictate the action on defense. Now they add arguably like one of the best defensive front court players in the league. And in Laney, like you said, a super solid perimeter defender as well. So just, and it'll turn defense into offense, as you said, and that'll only help their cause. So yeah, I think we're both in agreement. Um, Howard is totally worth everything they gave up and honestly, probably more, but yeah, that's great signing for, or great uh, 
acquisition for New York. Sure. Um, anything else on Howard or should we move on to their other uh, big acquisition of the day? Uh, let's move on to Sammy Whitcomb. Uh, not bad. You know, I think big picture we're looking at, like they're basically replacing Nurse and Walker with Laney and Whitcomb on the wing. And that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty big money for a player going into her age 32 season with what I would consider one great season in the WNBA and two pretty good ones. Yeah. Yeah, But I do really like the move. Like, even though she's a little bit older than the rest of this group, even, uh, even more so than Howard and and Laney, you know, she's in her thirties, it being a two year deal. Like it doesn't really interfere with the timeline in terms of their, their rookie scale player contracts. She gives them, I think, a little bit more versatile shooting and, and a little bit more shooting that they lose with Talbot and the ability to provide more secondary and tertiary playmaking with the ball in her hands, I think, than, than Talbot gives you. Just offensively overall, I think she's a little bit more of a versatile player. Her jump shot's a little bit more versatile coming off screens, and, and she has one of the quickest releases in the league. She gives you a little bit more as a pick-and-roll player and can kind of run things for you with second units a, a little bit more. You know, that's not a role I, I'd love for her necessarily, but she can you know, do something with you there. She gives you more in transition, I think, which is going to be important for this roster. Uh, it is a bit of a size downgrade for sure. I think uh, Talbot's a, a bigger player and is more of like a, a two, three defender, you know, probably more like guarding the three. And I think Wickham, you probably want guarding like twos, but you know, with the rest of the wing options that this team is going to have, I think that's completely fine. And, you know, she was probably the best, you know, real bench player, like among you know, actual bench players that, you know, weren't like second in their team in minutes or anything like that in the league last year, it's a great signing and they get some, some real offensive firepower. Uh, And, you know, just another option if some other players don't come over or something. Right. And, you know, the player that I had in mind was, uh, was Asia Durr, who is unfortunately still battling her, her COVID-19, a long hauler as as they call, which is extremely unfortunate. We really hope she gets back to, to health soon. But if, if like she's not able to play or if, if something happens, you know, Walt Hopkins, he did when Sabrina Unescu was healthy for all of two and a half games last year. He did play her off the ball a lot. And I feel like this goes a long way into making their guard positions somewhat interchangeable. Like you said, Whitcomb is, she's a combo guard and that's not a bad thing. She's a great outside shooter. And as you said, she has that jump shot versatility, but she can also handle the ball some as well. You know, it, it can take some pressure off Unescu handling the ball 24 seven. Or if you want to run a play for Unesco, you can do that with her playing off the ball with Whitcomb on the floor. She is like a starting caliber player, kind of, who is going to be playing a bench role. And ideally. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Like you said, she's maybe a little bit older and is coming off a career year. But it's a, it's a gamble that I think is worth it. It's not like they're giving up a ton to get her. And I think it fits how New York wants to play. Yeah, for sure. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, the, the last thing I did want to just get to before we move on to another team here, uh, you know, their side of the the Kia Nurse and Megan Walker deal, I think, you know, getting the sixth pick that it seems like for now, at least uh, they're going to look to hold on to, or, or maybe there's another move somewhere down the line, but getting that sixth pick and an, an additional draft pick for those two players who, you know, given the the wing options that they have now with, with Laney and Whitcomb and Marine Johannes and Rebecca Allen will probably play a little bit of, of three alongside uh, as well as some four for them. You know, they still have Jocelyn Willoughby on this roster. Clarendon will probably play alongside Sabrina a little bit, I would think. So they have a lot of options now on the wing. So, you know, Leon Odom, another one, I, I think will have a chance at least to make this roster. So mm-hmm. to get two picks for those players who probably weren't figuring into the Liberty's long-term plans, I think is a pretty good move for New York. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're able to improve now while still staying young. It's not like they're 
they're sacrificing the farm in, in any in any capacity. Yeah, I agree. Uh, should we move on to Seattle? Yeah, let's do it. So Seattle is for me not having a very good off season. I think like if you lose Alicia Clark, that's like that sucks, but it's it's ultimately fine because you still have that really awesome front court from Natasha Howard and Brianna Stewart. But if you lose both of them and then you get this kind of return, like even if Natasha Howard didn't want to resign or couldn't resign or whatever, at the end of the day, the storm got Katie Lou Samuelson, Makia Herbert Harrigan, and a couple of second round picks for next year. I like next year's draft, but come on. Well, what, what do you think about Seattle swapping out, ju- you know, just in a vacuum, swapping out Howard for the number one pick and Herbert Harrigan? I would like that better than what they did afterwards. I, I would too. I think, in, in fact, know. in fact, that's that's the biggest problem I have. That's the biggest issue I have because the the trend of this offseason has been players going elsewhere to seek bigger contracts. So if Natasha Howard had to go, then she had to go. Or if Seattle chose to let her go in order to have more money for for Stewart and Lloyd, you know, next season and and, and Bird this offseason, fine, I get it. But why, like? This year's draft is probably not going to be a very strong one, at least in my opinion. There are more than zero players in this draft that are better than Katie Lou Samuelson. I don't understand the second half of this of this of this trade. I just don't. Yeah, I think, uh, and we can get to the Katie Lou part of it because I think it is a, an important part of this and one that we both agree was a, an error on Seattle's part. But it seems like, in, in my opinion, the number one pick in Herbert Harrigan is is not bad value for them for Howard. And I feel well, like you never it, get Steven, you never get equal return for a superstar. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the number one pick is, is a pretty good consolation prize. And Absolutely. I feel like what you said earlier in terms of Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart are both hitting re- restricted free agency after this season. I feel like if they wanted to extract more individual players, like, like they definitely could have gotten key and in this deal if they wanted to, or, or some other options from some other teams in some Howard deal out there, but it's very clear that they kind of wanted to, load up on either one-year deals in, in some instances or rookie-scale contracts, uh, which, you know, by the way, the number one pick in the draft would have been a rookie-scale contract for for four years and not two years like Samuelson. Yeah. So I, I guess we should get to Herbert Harrigan as kind of the first piece of, of this puzzle here. I actually kind of like this move for them in terms of uh, an upside play. I obviously... Cheryl Reeve was not, uh, she was a little bit underwhelmed with what they got from her, right? She made some comments early in the season about Herbert Harrigan not being ready. She did not get consistent minutes over the course of the season. You know, I think we mentioned before she played like 10 games playing 10 minutes or less last season. She only broke 20 minutes one time uh, over the course of the year, but she's a nice, I think, upside play for them. And, you know, last year, Minnesota really did have a hard time scoring when Herbert Harrigan was on the court. And I was not really overall kind of impressed with her her rookie season but she's someone who can give them some semblance of a two-way player in terms of you know she if she did anything well offensively last year it was shooting the three she went 14 for 33 from three only 16 for 49 from from two and shot seven free throws all year so not in a player who was particularly effective from inside the three-point line didn't really give you much as a passer but you know I think at this point some of the options they brought in they'll they'll really kind of need Herbert Harrigan's shooting and the defensive aggressiveness that Seattle likes to play with I think Herbert Harrigan could fit into that pretty well in right. terms of if they're going to play her at the three which uh which Minnesota did a lot and you know I don't, I don't what do you think about her long-term position do you think she's more of a three or more of a four I pl- I think more of a four but looking at this roster right now I mean 
Yeah, she's going to play the three, right? Who, who's, who's at the three? I, I like her more than Morgan Tuck. Yeah, I do too. And I think her length as a three is, is a really interesting weapon on the perimeter, guarding smaller players if she can hang laterally. And I don't think we really saw enough of her last year to, to know one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be doing probably, I mean, maybe they, they change things with the, the personnel that they brought in. But I, I think they're still going to be a pretty aggressive defense. And, you know, her, her length and uh, athleticism can I think that can play into her strengths a little bit more than you know having her you know play the four with maybe some more help responsibilities I don't think she was a particularly good team defender but we'll see you know uh, she was a rookie I I think it would be a mistake to to read too much into her her rookie season but um, I I didn't hate this one I think this is a good upside play Uh, what, what, what do you have to say about I guess like Herbert Harrigan kind of fitting into Seattle yeah I think it's fine and I think you made a good point um she can be an aggressive defender I mean, rookies are are rarely good help defenders. They're rarely good team defenders, particularly front court players. So I think taking a gamble on her upside is it was it's not like it was a huge gamble either. So uh, in a vacuum, I I do like this move for Seattle, um, even if she has to play some of the three for now. Like short term, I think Seattle kind of closed their own championship window here, but long term, I like her fit on the roster. Uh, they also brought in another option at the three. They brought in a few, and I think we'll get to them all. But bringing in Steph Talbot, to me, for a player who we now know was kind of pricing herself out of what Seattle is going to offer her, I think is not a bad piece of business. Like, she she can definitely fit into what they want to do a little mm-hmm. bit offensively, just in terms of someone who needs to be guarded off the ball. She's not completely inept with the ball in her hands. You know, if you just need kind of a, a tertiary option, you know, she does bring some positional size at the three, which prior to Wednesday's moves in, in – later in the week they really had none of so the fact that they only had to offer her a training camp contract is a little bit surprising to me even though you know even even considering the last time we saw her you know she didn't come over last year of course and then her her 2019 with minnesota was not really as effective as her 2018 with phoenix but um this i think is is going to be a good option for them for sure yeah i'm really surprised she only got a training camp contract maybe it was because you know the thing i look at with the seattle roster is they have a lot of international players You've got Talbot, you've got Magbiger, you've got Laxa, who they drafted last season. I haven't heard a thing about her since they drafted her. Um, so depending on how many of those players decide to play in the WNBA this coming season is going to, I don't want to say make or break Seattle because they're all, you know, like bench players, but it, it's going to, it's going to play a big role in how this roster ultimately looks because then you, you look at the, they, re, they bring back Epiphany Prince. They signed Tamara Young to a training camp contract uh, they've got, like I said, Tuck, you know, Herbert Harrigan, we don't know what role she's going to play. They acquire Samuelson for the number one overall pick this season. How many minutes like those players are going to get, or if they're on the roster at all, depends heavily upon, you know, whether some of these players are coming over or not. That's a great point. I didn't really consider the international aspect of it all that much. You know, I always like to just pretend that everyone's going to come over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work out that way, but you know, best case scenario. And like right now they're already at 14 people on their roster. They've only got room for one more player, one more training camp contract. So, well, assuming that Subert is coming back. Like we, I mean, Tuck we, is going to get cut almost certainly. You think Tuck is going to get, okay. I mean, well, she just I has mean, like a, a huge unprotected. And salary. it's unprotected. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean that, well, what I'm saying is it, it doesn't matter. Like I'm, I'm just saying like right now, they're kind of already saying, okay, well, here's our, here's our training camp roster besides Subert and, and one additional player. Yeah. Like sure. they, they really kind of went all in pretty quickly here, you know? So let's talk about the the capper for Wednesday. Seattle moving the number one pick uh, that they acquired in the Natasha Howard deal to Dallas 
for Katie Lou Samuelson. Katie Lou coming into her third year, so she does have two more years on that rookie scale contract, which seems pretty important to Seattle's front office. I mean, my initial reaction was true and honest disbelief when I saw this. Like, I, I thought there had to be another piece of this that that hadn't been reported yet, but no, they moved the number well, one pick maybe in the there draft. Is. Uh, yeah, may, maybe there maybe is. Maybe there is. Who knows? Um, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I was my my first reaction was why you got the first. I everyone assumed that in order to get Natasha Howard, New York would have to give up that number one overall pick, and they did that. That was the centerpiece for this trade. So Seattle, they have got a really good asset now. You don't have to keep the pick, and they didn't. But like, this is the best you could trade it for. I I, I don't. And we've talked about it before, like Samuelson, in my opinion, and I think yours as well, she's just a little bit of a, a woman without a country defensively. Like, I don't think she has the strength to defend fours, even though, you know, she does have some pretty good length for that position. She doesn't really, and she has great size and length as a three, but she doesn't really, you know, no, she can't, me, though. yeah, she can't hang laterally. I think particularly, you know, in a heavy blitzing and trapping system like Seattle, like those guards are just going to go around her, I think. Right. And then you're playing you know, essentially five on three or, or four on three or something like that. So this to me was, I mean, I know this is supposed to be a weak draft, but this was either, it's not that weak. It's not I know weak. An, an insane kind of over uh, overly optimistic evaluation of, of Samuelson. And she played mostly the four for Dallas last season. I imagine she'll be playing more as a three in Seattle with, with Stewart and Dupree and, and Ezzy and Russell. I guess it, it depends if, you know, as he comes over and, and who else comes over in terms of like Talbot and stuff like that. But and Seattle does seem to be bringing in as many options at the three as they can at this point and, and hoping one of them kind of sticks, but that's, you know, not something that you kind of take a flyer on with the number one pick. But, but. Steven, like there are weird options. Like Samuelson hasn't shown that she can defend at the three. Uh, you're going to turn Herbert Harrigan into a three when like, she's probably more of a four. Like, I guess, I guess Steph Talbot is okay. You know, and then we're, we're hearing about this Candace Dupree, like, yeah, we're, I'm going to play next to Brianna Stewart. Well then who's playing the three in that lineup? It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, let's, let's get to Dupree. I mean, look, neither of us are very high in the Samuelson deal. I, I think we both think it was... Uh, yeah, there's no, there no need for us to keep... Yeah, uh, so Dupree, this was something, you know, when I, I kind of first heard about it, it was kind of an oh no moment for me. But after kind of really putting putting some more thought into it, you know, diving into um, Dupree's numbers and in her film, like, I I think this has some some potential to be pretty good. So I had the same initial reaction... But I, after some thought, I've kind of come around on it as well. I don't love it by any means, but I think the initial oh no reaction was because, oh no, that means Natasha Howard really is gone. Especially yeah, after true. seeing the one year, was it $170,000 that they're giving Dupree? You know, there's some, there some quotes, I think, uh, from Storm Chasers on Twitter from uh, Dupree's press conference. She said that she did want to go to a contender to win another championship, but money was still important too. <laughs> Several teams were interested, but like she got some lower offers. So Seattle outbid the rest of the teams for Candace Dupree. And the, the, the quote that stuck out to me was that, yeah, Dan Hughes is considering a lineup with Dupree, Stewart, and Magwiger at the same time, and that she, he wants her to mentor Magwiger. So uh, I've got some questions about that, but take us through why, you, why you're okay with this deal. Sure. The last two seasons, her, her numbers, uh, a little bit better than I, I thought, to be honest with you, 507 and 502 true shooting, you know, not – not great, slightly below league average, but she's, you know, obviously it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, because this is a podcast that she's even with Seattle's roster overhaul, she's going to be surrounded with some, some way better offensive players. And even considering the the secondary players in, in Talbert and uh, Katie Lou, you know, Bird, Stewart, Lloyd, you know, Jordan Canada, I, 
Canada. Jordan Canada, I think, <laughs> is her. Jordan Still Canada, I think, is her um, own type of effective offensive player. Herbert Harrigan, if she continues to develop as a three-point shooter, there's just going to be a lot more space. So Dupree's own kind of uh, lack of a three-point shot in her proclivity for for mid-rangers i don't think it's as big a deal as you know playing with tier mccowan and tiffany mitchell and stuff like that you know what i mean it's it's just uh that weakness is negated a, a little bit you know this is going to be the best team that she's played on since 2016 maybe even 2014 uh yeah. you know I, I do have some questions defensively in terms of she would kind of hedge and show a little bit more than indiana's other bigs and you know she wasn't just playing straight drop coverage like a lot of their bigs so you know maybe her her mobility is still there a little bit in terms of kind of you know what we've talked about a lot so far seattle's very aggressive trapping trying to force turnovers causing mistakes so so maybe dupree can fit into that you know i think offensively like as the fourth or fifth option, like I really kind of like that part of it. I think she can not being kind of dependent on so much. Like she was third on the team uh, in Indiana in, in minutes last year and, and Alaban and Kelsey Mitchell, who were one and two were like top of the league in minutes. So, so Dupree was kind of playing a ton for them. And, you know, there are a lot of situations for Candace Dupree. I, I don't think I would have been high on, like, I don't think she would have been a great fit replacing like Alyssa Thomas at the four in Connecticut or something like that. But, you know, this is as good of a situation you could really ask her to be in. Right. I mean, it depends on how many minutes she's going to be playing, but it sounds like she's all in on being a uh, a mentor for the younger players. And hey, if you can come off the bench and make $170,000, go for it. You know, if, if you love it, I like it. But you, when you said, uh, when you say it's, it's a good fit for her offensively, I do agree. Um, yeah, she takes a ton of mid-range shots, but she's also like, I think her basketball IQ is really underrated. She's, she's been a very smart player for a very long time. She sees the game. Well, it doesn't seem like the game is ever going too fast for her. She's one of the steadiest, coolest cucumbers you'll ever meet. And I, I just think that kind of game will mesh well playing with Sue Bird and, and Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart. You know, she doesn't have to, as you said, um, she doesn't have to take on really any kind of offensive burden anymore. I think as long as her role is moving without the basketball, which she is very, very good at, and just taking those shots when they're there rather than having the team run plays for those shots. You know, it's, it's like unassisted two-point shots versus assisted two-point shots. It's, she's going to get a lot of, you know, shots coming from super pick and rolls or, you know, teams double-teaming Brianna Stewart. She's pretty good at cutting the bat. I think she's got a good, a good feel for cutting off-ball movement. So, and she's yeah. still a really great finisher around the basket. She, she is. She doesn't get there a ton, but when she does, you know, she's like a 60-plus percent finisher. And, and this is a situation in which I think she's going to get better looks at the rim than she did in Indiana. Yeah, for sure. So the, the thing that does concern me is the defense. Um, you did mention, like, the, the, the aggressive defense that Seattle likes to play. I do have some concerns if she can still hang in that kind of defensive system. Like, it's just uh, – I don't know – she's not going to be able to match up with Asia Wilson or Neko Gumake or, or John Cole Jones, because she's apparently a four now. And, you know, the other really big physical power forward talents across the league. It's just not, I don't think it's a very good fit, but it depends. Like I said, how many minutes are going to be playing her. The one question that I do have that I must bring back up though, is what is this lineup with her and Brianna Stewart going to look like if you're playing a traditional center as well? Does Seattle really want Brianna Stewart chasing perimeter players around? I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I'm, not sure. And that kind of brings me to another thing. Like there are some, an opportunity for this, for Dupree to play in some pretty offensively challenged lineups. If she's out there at the same time as Mercedes Russell and Tamara Young and Jordan Canada, like things yeah. could get pretty bad. Hopefully they'll kind of avoid those. They have to situations. avoid lineups like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if, if you don't mind us kind of uh, moving on, like how I wanted to ask you, like, how would you kind of rank the 
Uh, Let's take Dupree out of it because she's uh, a little bit of a different case, but how would you kind of rank the expected contribution or or likelihood to be, you know, the answer as Seattle's fifth player in some of those lineups between Talbot, Samuelson, Herbert Harrigan, and Tamara Young, who we kind of mentioned in passing? Um, I think I would like Talbot the most. I think you'd agree with me. Yeah, she's to me is kind of the steadiest, like the safest bet. She's the best spot-up shooter, and that's what they need out of the position. You're not replacing Alicia Clark with any of those players. But I don't know. I, I think Talbot is, is is probably the best offensive player of those of, of those players. Really not sure, you know, what, what kind of role Tamara Young plays in this on this roster at this point in her career. But it's a training camp contract, so like there's no guarantee. Yeah, for me, you know, Talbot would be one. Herbert Harrigan, for me, would be number two. I think she's kind of the upside play in all this. Yeah. If she can kind of put it all together defensively and continue to, you know, keep the three-point percentage up as, as the volume increases. Samuelson, you know, it definitely would seem is the favorite by the front office, given what they kind of gave up for her. But, you know, in terms of, you know, who deserves this spot, I would still probably rank her third. But, you know, this could all change uh, for sure. Uh, and then, you know, Tamara Young, I think they just kind of wanted to bring in somebody who they felt could be a defensive specialist to stop threes. Um, but I, I don't really have a ton of faith that she'll be a positive contributor at this point. As as tough as it is to say, you know, last time we saw her, she was just absolutely killing Vegas every time she was out there in the 2019 playoffs. And uh, they were, you know, exceedingly good when she was on the bench and then just could not score whenever she played. So um, I imagine even with the great players Seattle has, things will look the same with, with Young getting extended run, particularly against the best teams. I'm, I'm wondering, I, I guess they really are leaning into this whole, you know, mentorship thing because signing Tamara Young, Dupree, uh, Epiphany Prince are bringing back, like it's all one or one or two year or, and or unguaranteed deals. So maybe they are kind of reloading for next year. It's just, it's just weird for me, dude, because they were so dominant last year and it's not like, it was a team full of 35 and 36 year olds either you know it's it's strange uh let's move on to the phoenix mercury who um brought in kia nurse and megan walker for as you had mentioned at the top of the show the number six pick which they acquired from connecticut last offseason in a 2022 first what did you think about this one from phoenix's perspective i think they made out pretty well it's not going to be discussed as heavily as new york or seattle's side of the deal because they didn't get as much but you know, like Nurse was bad last year and she's had a pretty up and down career to this point. But look at the team she's been on. That This New York team has not been good for a while now. And now she's going to be playing more of an ideal role as like a third or a fourth banana on Phoenix. It's, it's a good fit for her, I think. She's not going to be asked to create a lot of offense for herself, although she can do that. Like imagine a perimeter of Tarazi, Diggins, and Nurse. Like how many free throws are they, are they going to shoot just, just on their own? I like next year's draft. I think it's going to be a really strong draft. It's a gamble, but I think it's worth it in this case because, you know, from the Mercury's perspective, they get a legit two-wing, a two-way, sorry, wing player who can add as a secondary self-creator if need be. Because remember last year, and I think we just discussed this last episode as well, talking about Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, they were never able to really find a permanent solution at that position. You know, Walker Kimbrough had the three-point shot, but she was a little undersized to defend. And Sophie Cunningham maybe defended, but didn't really bring anything else. Kia Nurse can now be that innings eater, if you if I can make a baseball analogy. She can play 26, 28, 30 minutes a game while providing stuff on both ends of the floor. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like the Nurse roster fit here for some of the same reasons that I thought she would be a good match and 
Minnesota's uh, team, which which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they now have someone who can guard the three and, and not completely kill you offensively. Uh, like, you know, maybe the uh, player that they released, Nia Coffey. Um, mm. You know, for Nurse, and it seems like you are in kind of the same boat as me. Like, I'm just a little bit more inclined to buy what she gave us her second season and kind of what we saw from her last year with, you know, when she had a bum ankle and frankly played on one of the worst teams I've ever seen. Um, so maybe I'm taking last year with like too much of a grain of salt in terms of like, you know, not her not really helping that team at all last year. And, and she obviously had a dreadful year, but you know, she, she didn't really look at the, the same player that she looked like two years ago, but this is like a real roster where she was, she'll be surrounded by anywhere from three to five better players on this roster, depending on what happens with Hartley coming back from injury and, you know, Brittany Griner, whose status is, you know, kind of questionable. I think it's fair to say, um, even though she did make those comments uh, a couple of weeks ago about, you know, playing this upcoming season. But uh, with that being said, you know, I do think two firsts is a, a pretty steep price for, I think, uh, two wings who, you know, maybe if, if Hartley is healthy or uh, if they're playing two bigs or, or something like that, like two wings that might not close games for you, but they definitely improve their roster. And if you're you're just looking to maximize this window, I think it's a justifiable move to make. I uh, Phoenix has never really been a franchise to hang on to their draft picks. Have you <laughs> well, noticed that? I did want to ask you a little bit about Megan Walker. Coming into this uh, past season, the 2020 season, I think you had her in your your lit your last mock before the draft as your number five player um, yeah. she had a good shooting profile in college if i recall like over 40 percent for her three years not not 100 sure what the volume looked like was her bad rookie season on a terrible roster like was it enough to kind of have you completely out on megan walker like do you no. still buy her as a contributor i still buy her as a contributor for sure i, I think walker is, sub, is someone who uh, several people thought she should have stayed in school for that extra year I'm not going to comment on, I'm not going to comment on that. And I think she was in a bad situation last year because she had COVID, didn't she? I, I don't recall whether she I did. believe she had COVID. She reported to New York late. So, I mean, that, that can throw off anything. You can see like uh, what it's, what it's doing to, to players who have had it. You know, some, some players come back and they're fine and some players come back and they're just not themselves. So that was a really bad situation for Megan Walker to be in anyway. You look at the three, I mean, look at the three point shooting. She shot what? What was it? 18%, 17%. Yeah, it wasn't good. She It was I, I, really bad, and that's coming from a really good shooter. So, like, coming into the draft, maybe I thought she was a little raw in any in every part of her game outside of three-point shooting. But, like, okay, I think I believe I had her going to Dallas. Like, okay, you can at least park her in the corner, and she'll shoot 40% from three and, and, and contribute that way. She didn't do any of that in New York, and she had trouble getting those consistent minutes. So I don't know if that was the conditioning or COVID after effects or what, but here it's, you know, a fresh start expectations won't be very high. I assume she's going to be battling, you know, like Sophie Cunningham for minutes, but with nurse playing in front of both of them, it's like, okay, you know, well, if you can only give us eight minutes a game, that's fine. But anything yeah, else sure. is just icing on the cake. So just uh, so we have it here, she was six for 43 from uh, three last season. Yeah, but, great. Uh, she was a positive scorer from, from two point range. She was at 54% from two. And I, I really liked the finishing that we saw inside. She was 12 for 14 around the rim. And, a lot of those came from what I thought was maybe the best part of her rookie season, which was her cutting. You know, only two of those 14 came in transition. So it's not like she was, you know, like a Liana Odom kind of just padding those stats, you know, on, on open layups, um, which, you know, that that's a valuable part of Odom's game. But, you know, that I think that percentage is a little bit more representative of, of Megan Walker as a finisher. So she was 10 for 12 in the half court finishing at the rim. And, you know, it's not like she was frequently finishing over a ton of size, but I definitely think 
that it, it seems like she has the size and strength to finish over her own defender, you know, like size players, if she has the path to the basket and she, I think her knack for finding cutting lanes in an atmosphere like New York last year was, was pretty impressive as well. So, you know, the shot, I don't think it looks uh, amazing, but it doesn't look so broken that I couldn't see her getting up to like, you know, between like 32 and 35% or something like that. So in my opinion, she's definitely a worthwhile flyer. You know, I, think she makes more sense for this roster than you know a Jocelyn Willoughby or another wing that they could have probably extracted from New York and in, in like in a similar deal Phoenix was the one who drafted Willoughby in the first place I, oh that, that's true yeah that's- uh, and I would definitely rather have her next year for Phoenix than Nia Coffey for sure mm-hmm. um, I think she can end up she could maybe I should say be a better a better option than Sophie Cunningham you know I could see that one going either way but I don't hate Walker's chances there. So yeah, a nice uh, additional, you know, flyer to, to bring on. And, you know, obviously Key and Nurse was the player that they were really probably targeting in that one. Okay. Anything else to say on Phoenix or should we move on? Let's move on. Where do you want to go from here? We, I guess uh, we can briefly touch on Minnesota. We can go to the Dallas perspective or we have some free agents to talk about. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling with some more free agents. Um, Las Vegas Aces signed Raquano Williams. I really like this move. How about you? Yeah, I like it. I like it fine. Uh, an upgrade from Sugar Rogers, I think, as mm-hmm. as uh, you know, a player that Vegas won't give enough to do besides being kind of their one shooter on the floor. But she gives you more as like I think an overall scorer than Sugar Rogers. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't really think she she tips the scale of their title odds one way or the other. But it's nice that they have someone who can fill in as like a an injury replacement starter a little bit more. And is there anything you, you kind of had to say about this one? I think it's a good move for both sides for sure. I mean, the first thing I thought was, yes, she's a clear upgrade over Sugar Rogers. You know, she's not just, Rogers is just out there for what, four or five minute stretches just to space the floor. But Raquanda Williams can actually add dimensions to your offense, to whichever lineup she's playing. You know, she's, she's not an effective pick and roll player, but as a spot up shooter, there aren't many who are better, especially in transition. You know, you love, the, you, you know, this Aces team is going to, look to get out and run. And I think she's a clear upgrade there. And I think unlike Sugar Rogers, you can get away with playing her 20 plus minutes per game. You know, uh, she's maybe run, runs a little hot and cold, but she's definitely someone who does need to be guarded and can, who can get hot in a hurry. I am intrigued though, that she only got 91,000 because I think she was getting paid six figures last season. Correct. And I get the aces. They're going to, I mean, it, it, it I, I have a question about this for her rather than the aces. Like I get the aces. They're going to need money for maxing out Cambage and filling out the rest of their roster. So it, it makes sense. But, you know, looking at how many vets have gotten significant pay increases this off season, I'm kind of surprised she's taking a cut here. Maybe there is nowhere else for her to go. I, I, I don't know. Maybe the options were limited. Maybe the options among teams that weren't going to be terrible were limited. Maybe, yeah. you know, the bad teams that had a lot of money were just like, well, why would we bring in, you know, our a 31 year old who isn't really going to, you know, she's, she's a good player and she's a valuable player in the right situation, but like, what is she going to do for our future specifically? Yeah, so. She did say she wants to play with Chelsea Gray again, so I can't argue with that. Okay. Good fit. Yeah, sure. Like, I think everything that you said, and just in terms of like, you know, you feel comfortable with her out there for longer stretches than, than you did Rogers for sure, exactly. just in terms of defensively and kind of what she can do uh, off the bounce and stuff like that. So yeah, I like this one a lot. Okay, cool. So um, pretty straightforward there. Moving on, uh, Los Angeles Sparks sign Amanda Zowie B., um, neither of us are big fans of Amanda Zoe B, but I don't hate the move. No, I think this is the type of situation where you kind of want to bring in Amanda Zoe B, you know, where she's expected to be a bench option, one that will probably get a lot of run, you know, like she, but it's not like, you know, like if a, a Dallas or something was bringing her in to be their starting center or, 
uh, something like that. You know, she'll probably come off the bench with the two Agumikes starting, and I think she can fit in well with them offensively. Yeah, it's a good fit, um, particularly next to the Agumikes or one Agumike, whichever pick and choose. Uh, because for one, you're going to have Neka or Shanae. You know, pro- probably more so Neka, but in either case, you're going to have a a smart team defender who will be able to maybe kind of mask some of Zoe B's weaknesses on defense. And then on the other end, like she's going to be playing, I assume a vastly different role than she was in New York. She's probably not going to be floating out there on the perimeter as much. Yes. She can stretch the floor a little bit, but she's not going to be taking like exclusively three point shots. Like she was last season. I just don't see her that being a good role and she's going to be a third or a fourth big, not a starter. Unless, you know, Shanae Gumake doesn't come back, then she might start. But, you know, she, at least she's a really good rebounder. And I'd be pretty interested to see how she plays with a guard like Chrissy Tolliver. Yeah, I think maybe she, I'm thinking that she'll spend more time on the perimeter than you are thinking, you know, considering Neka is a good three-point shooter, but she doesn't, you know, there's not a ton of volume there. Shanae is not really a threat from out there. So I think that's kind of where, and I don't think she's, you know, an amazing, uh, Amanda Zabi is an amazing player from two point range. Uh, you know, not last year is obviously an anomaly. She's not going to shoot like in the thirties again, but you know, I don't think she's some great finisher, uh, for a center. So no, she's not, but yeah, that, the, the Tolliver fit, I think is an interesting one. She's, uh, I mean, when was the last time she played with a guard that was that dynamic, you know, yeah. um, or even, uh, an Erica Wheeler for that matter. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, NECA and Shanae, to some degree, NECA more so, can kind of make up for her and, and some of the uh, the wing defense that they have can kind of make up for some of her defensive deficiencies a little bit, but with the two small guards that they're, they're going to be starting. and That's true. So, But she wasn't the, ma- the massive investment in terms of, you know, not only just money, but kind of future planning that I thought some team was going to kind of mistakenly make on her. You know, Dallas was the one that kept coming to mind. Like, you know, I... I hope they don't think that she's their center of the future or something like that. And, you know, if Vadiva comes over, she'll play even less, which I think will be good for, for LA competing and they'll have a lot of options. So um, remains to be seen whether that'll be the, that'll be an option for them. But yeah, I mean, this is, I think with two starting players uh, for now, at least already kind of uh, at the helms for LA, this is a, a good role for her. I agree. Let's move on to Dallas quickly. I just, just kind of want to go from, their perspective kind of acquiring the number one pick. Okay. They now hold picks one, two, five, seven, and 13 uh, <laughs> in terms of the, the top of this draft here with 11 players on roster. And Samuelson for Dallas is a player that we had kind of hinted at maybe them just like waving with their yeah. roster crunch and, and having, you know, Gray, Thornton, Sabley, all as better options at like either the three or the four. So I think that, I mean, obviously it, it goes without saying if we hate it for Seattle, we, we love this for Dallas, but this is a great move. And, you know, even if you don't love this draft class and they still have some some roster moves to make, obviously with uh, five pretty high picks and 11 players, you know, from a roster standpoint, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they will waive Gustafson if, if no big trade comes or you know, and they just kind of have to make this roster work. And if they can't land a star big, I imagine they will try to package something, you know, somewhere five, seven, 13, maybe even, you know, number two, if they can get something back with, yeah. with some of their salary, you know, a stew do 
uh, Mariah Jefferson and, and Izzy Harrison all have protected salary, not just this season, but also in 2022. So, you know, it's not like you want to just kind of waive those players and, and eat it for this one year. So yeah, obviously, you know, there's some skepticism from this, this draft from a talent perspective and, and an eligibility standpoint, as we've talked about before, like everybody could just go back to school. So it's not impossible where you end up in a situation where, you know, all the players you would consider to be lottery potential, just don't declare. But to bring in that asset for Katie Lou Samuelson, I think, needless oh, to say, is is a steal. It, it's it's terrific. And as as much as I don't like this draft, I mean, they have picks one through two. That's as good as you can get. So <laughs> it's not like I hate every single person in this draft. Like, no, it, it, it's, it was a good move for Dallas, for sure. Um, and I do anticipate them having – like, if you look at it now, it's going to be pretty awkward for them having four of the top seven picks – uh, they they kind of did this last year too, uh, where they just loaded up on draft picks and then couldn't really do anything with them. But I, I think this year you're, you are going to see a trade. They would make more sense. I mean, it's assets are assets. It's you got to load up on assets and for in exchange for a player who, like, as you said, we're pretty sure they were just going to wave. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a return. So yeah, for sure. kudos. In uh, Minnesota as well. I just wanted to also mention that, you know, I think, to get a first round pick for a player who probably wouldn't be in like a huge part of your rotation with everyone that you brought in, you were in uh, similar to Dallas's now in a bit of a roster crunch, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get that 2022 first uh, for Herbert Harrigan. Also a pretty good piece of business. And, you know, it's, it's Phoenix's first round pick. There's, I think some upside potential with that pick. If, if, uh, father time finally catches up or some downside depending on who you're looking at yeah sure sure (laughs) um and this there's probably still one more move to be made for minnesota if uh if powers expects to have a protected contract but i mean do you think they sold too early on on herbert harrigan no no i think it's a good trade for them i think it's a good trade i I don't see a long-term path for her like making a significant contribution on this roster especially with them finding out that nafisa collier is pretty good at the forward too uh, should we move on to some of the other news items? Yeah, go for it. So Crystal Langhorn retired from Seattle and will be transitioning to a role in their front office. Uh, did you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. As posted by Curtis Zimmerman of Across the Timeline, really, really awesome historical uh, database for the WNBA and women's basketball. Uh, Langhorn is one of 17 WNBA players to rank in the top 30 in both points and rebounds. So that I think says a lot about just her career longevity and her, her consistency. Um, she had her best years in Washington. She made the all-star team twice, but she was decent for a few years in Seattle as well after being traded there. And by all accounts, she was a really good veteran presence for two championship storm teams. I think it's really dope how she's joining Seattle's front office. The official role for her will be director of community engagement for the force for change initiative, which is basically a social justice platform for combating racism and support diversity, equity, and inclusion, according to their website. So, I mean, anytime you can retire from basketball and stay in the organization for a role like that is, is pretty cool. Wanted to move on to Chicago, bringing in Brittany Boyd for a training camp contract as our, our resident Sky fan. How are you <laughs> feeling about this one? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I, I know I made a case for Boyd as, a, uh, as someone who – Still has some WBA minutes left in her in our uh, redraft episode, our 2015 redraft episode. But I'm not sure if this is if this is great. Like there are pros and cons to her game. You know, she's the pros. Uh, like each year she was healthy, so that's discounting 2017 when she ruptured her Achilles. 
She ranked in the top seven in the league in assist percentage, and she ranked in the top four in steal percentage. So no question about it, she's a player who's going to really get after it at the point of attack. She's got really fast hands. She can be just a total nuisance on the ball. Before she got injured, she was really, really good at getting to the free throw line. And she's also a player who was among tops in the WNBA in percentage of her possessions coming in transition. So that's pretty good. The cons would be she's always been like a high turnover player, but the last two seasons, totally unacceptable. Turnover rate over 29%. That's horrible. Um, last year, and her free throw rate kind of fell off a cliff too. She's always been like a really bad half-court offensive player, particularly spotting up because like her jump shot has never really developed at all. And her transition percentage fell as well. I'm not sure if that's a coaching thing, but like if you've got a player who's bad in both transition and in the half court, I'm not sure if it was because of that Achilles injury, like if it just took her out of the game or what. But I think bottom line, if the Sky are getting pre-injury Boyd, I'll take the flyer because she's kind of like a high risk, high reward player as a backup. Remember, she's going to be a backup. If they're getting the Boyd who can't score efficiently in either half court or transition and turns it over a ton, I'll pass. But ultimately, like, she's going to be making $70,000 if she makes the team, which is more than Chicago can currently afford, meaning they'd have to cut, assume, you'd assume Stephanie Mavungo. So I think the choice between the two would have to depend on who this guy drafted number eight, assuming they keep that draft pick. Because, you know, this guy, they also made a trade. They traded, uh, I believe, a 2022 second round pick to Dallas for a 2021 second round pick. So, okay, not, not, not that exciting, but if you look into it, if, if you kind of, like, look at the reasoning, one, it could be a package. It could be, you know, a, a sweetener. If they, try, if they decide to trade, you know, Stephanie Dawson or someone like that, it could be a, a throw-in. Or it could also give James Wade an option of saying, yes, we need a backup point guard, but we don't, like, we don't want to reach at number eight. So let's give ourselves the option of drafting the best player available at number eight while then still being able to take a guard at number 16 in the second round to compete with Brittany Boyd. So I don't know what's going to happen. It does open up some flexibility in training camp as far as, you know, positional versatility is concerned. I think they're still going to be stuck with 11 players though. So we'll see what happens. Let me ask you, would you rather, I mean, for this specific Chicago team and and kind of the rest of the roster they have, and I, I know which way I would feel, but would you rather have, Brittany Boyd and a rookie level contributor at that last post spot or Stephanie Mavunga in a rookie level contributor as the backup point guard? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. What, what, what would you say? I mean, I would say Boyd just because, you know, Chicago still has uh, Dolson and Ruthie Hebert, who I imagine are, are going to be their first two post players off the bench. And Stephanie Mavunga looks like she's going to be the, the fifth big and probably not yeah. playing too much. Right. Yeah, you know, there are some interesting interesting players who might be available there who would provide some positional versatility as well, like not just exclusively be front court players, but at the same time, I think if you can't, like if, if they can't get a Dana Evans or an Ari McDonald at number eight, which I, I don't anticipate them doing, those are both uh, point guards, I, I think you just kind of have to go best player available and then just, just wing it for the rest of your bench. I don't think, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think anything that's going to happen there is going to move the needle for them either way. But it would be nice to get a player who can actually fit with Chicago's current roster instead of just punting and saying, like, well, you know, we needed a point guard, so we drafted a point guard. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like that logic at, at, the, at this position and this draft. So we'll see what Boyd can bring. You know, let's, we, we've mentioned it a bunch of times in this episode already for different players. New York was not 
the uh, best scenario for basically anybody in like the past three seasons. So maybe she's got more to give. I, I as a training camp signing, I like it. Okay. The uh, the fever. Uh, speaking of training camp signings, brought in Chanel Molina. Apologies if I mispronounce that. Um, do you know any? I know nothing about this player. Not much. I know she went to Washington State, and that means that Ben Dahl would know a lot more than uh, I do, because he gets the Pac-12 network and I don't. Well, there we go. We'll have to have Ben on for some uh, Chanel Molina talk. Yeah, we, we do. We do. Uh, the Dallas Wings signed Kayla Thornton to an extension, two years, uh, right around 108K per year. Seems like a, a real steal of a contract, I feel yeah. like. if I don't know really league-wide cap space what that looks like uh, next offseason, but I would think if Kayla Thornton was to hit the open market, she would get a larger deal than that. I agree. And that's probably why they did that. Why they did this now, right? Yeah, I guess assume? so. Um, uh, maybe Thornton's just happy in Dallas. Uh, she might be the first player. Um, but, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, and that's the thing, like just have some continuity there for God's sake. Like we're so used to people in Dallas wanting out or just leaving in free agency or whatever. You get the opportunity to lock up a veteran presence or do it. Sure. Um, so don't really have much more to add about with that one. She's a, a good player. And I think Dallas is going to be improved this coming season. I think the last news item that we have to get to is uh, Renee Montgomery retiring from the WNBA. Yeah, you know, I, I can't say I'm surprised. She is a player who I would have really liked to be the backup point guard in, in Chicago, but I think she's in a position where she's just got so much so much potential outside of basketball. And I don't even want to say outside of basketball because I saw her, um, she's got her podcast, Remotely Renee, I believe it's called. And she did say she's, she's sticking around in basketball. I, I believe she's calling, she's calling Atlanta Hawks games, right? Oh, I don't know. That's awesome if she is. Though. I, I think, she, or maybe she's a studio analyst or something like that. I know she's also doing some broadcasting for the G League as well. And um, also, you know, the, the social justice initiatives, the, the, the work in the community, she's by all accounts been amazing in that role so far. And she's really found that, that passion for it. Big kudos to Renee on a, on a prosperous WNBA career, two-time champion with the Lynx. And uh, best wishes moving forward in the community. Yeah, uh, shout out to Renee. I selfishly did wish that, uh, you know, we could have gotten one more season of her on the court for, you know, a Chicago or a Minnesota or something like that, where I think she could have made a difference. But she um, decided to step away and, you know, got to respect that as well. For good reason. For good reason. Yeah. Okay. I think we've covered it all. Haven't we? Yeah. I think that's everything. Okay. So yeah, really fun week in free agency. Another, another really fun week. It's funny. Every time we, uh, we do these, we're like, well, next week can't be as exciting. Next week can't be as exciting, but last week proved us wrong. There's a lot of stuff that happened and maybe some more action happening in the future. So I will be refreshing Twitter as much as I can. But in the meantime, thank you everyone so much for listening. We really, really, really appreciate it. And thanks for the feedback and the interaction on social media as well. If you want to subscribe, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. We're on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA or our personal accounts at E or at Trinkwald. So we love, uh, we love discussion. We love discourse. If you want to hit us up and tell us why we're wrong about something, please feel free to do so. Uh, but until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.